This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians, chapter number three this morning. We're continuing our series entitled Magnify Jesus. I'm just going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. If you're missing the message so far, you can get caught up on our website or at the Hui Kala app. If you have the Hui Kala app on your uh, mobile device, which you should, if you don't, you should get it now. Uh, there's a, a button if you click on for, today, uh, for today's message under Magnify Jesus. Click on today's message. There's a button that says fill in notes. Click on that. You can actually type in your notes for today's message. All the verses we'll be taking a look at will be found uh, on the notes there as well. So it's kind of a good way to keep you engaged and stay uh, in the message today. We'll be taking a look at a couple different passages of Scripture this morning. Uh, so take a look at the topic of worship uh, until we find ourselves in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verses, uh, ver- verse, Philippians, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse number 1. Sorry about that. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1. <coughs> Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, is indeed not grievous, but for you it's safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are of the circumcision, which worship God in spirit and truth and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Last week, we took a look at how we can know for sure that we're saved because Paul makes a delineation between verses 2 and 3. There's fake Christians that are actually dogs that will come in to pull you away from what you want to do, which is following Jesus. There's evil workers, people who look like on the surface are a good good thing, but actually uh, their purposes are nefarious and they'll drive you away from Christ. In addition to that, he says, there's those that are of the concision. Now, it's interesting to see uh, verse number three, he says, we are of the circumcision. Just to give you a little bit of background in the uh, Old Testament, uh, Abraham was t- to uh, show that he, he and all of his uh, tribe were part of God's followers. So God required them to be circumcised for all of their males. And it became a Jewish tradition on the eighth day, uh, a child was to be circumcised, a Hebrew boy was to be circumcised, showing a covenant relationship with God and with this family, basically showing that this family were true followers of God. Now, as you can imagine, any type of ritual that gets implemented at some point loses its value, loses its purpose. And later we would find that people were continuing the, the practice of circumcision even though they weren't following God. Practicing circumcision even though they had no desire to follow God's law or God's guidelines. Add on to that, we find that Jesus said that he came not to erase the law, but to fulfill the law. Now that Jesus Christ had come, died on the cross, the law was no longer had the same power that it did because it had been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So all of the the special days, the special holidays, special feasts, uh, special practices like circumcision were no longer necessary because now Jesus Christ had made a way for us to come to God the Father without going through the temple, without going through the priest hierarchy. He basically said Jesus is the way now. Now, as you can imagine, people get really invested in religion and religious practices and religious rituals. And so we find in the, the, after Jesus Christ had implemented the church, false teachers came in and they said, hey, it's good that you want to follow Jesus, but you still have to be an Old Testament Jew as well. And so even though you're a Christian now, you still have to go back and be circumcised. You still have to follow all the feast days. You still have to keep all the religious practices of the Old Testament. 
they came and basically taught that Christianity was kind of like a, a bolt-on addition to the Old Testament law. And so Paul writes a letter to the churches that are in the Galatian region, known as the book of Galatians. It says, hey, all this is garbage. All this is hogwash. There's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus himself. There's no circumcision. There's no uncircumcision. There's no Jew. There's no more Greek. It's only Jesus alone from here on out. And so he was fighting against these people who were basically wanting to bring on religious practices that had no power in them. And so Paul here, how does that fit into today's message? Paul says here in verse number two, there's dogs, there's evil workers, then those of the concision. The word concision means body mutilators. The people that are requiring circumcision but not really following Jesus, these are, these are people that are just mutilating your body for ritualistic purposes. It's no good, it's of no use whatsoever. But he goes on in verse number three, he said, but we are of the circumcision. Now, circumcision isn't a religious requirement for Christians anymore. But here's what uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, that there is a circumcision of our heart, a cutting away of the things that don't need to be there in our heart so that we can be closer to God. Uh, so that is a thing. So when he says we're the circumcision, he's not talking about the actual religious practice. He's just saying, hey, we're the real deal Christians. These other people are fakes and mutilators of your flesh. That's what he's saying there. Well, what marks the true believers, first of all, that we're true followers of God of the circumcision. But next, notice what he says there in verse number three. He says, but which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. That's the key there. What does it mean to worship God in the spirit? The word worship is a really critical word for you and I to understand. It's a, it's a bummer for me that so many times the word worship gets boiled down to the songs that we sing in church. For example, you might hear somebody say, oh man, the worship this morning was great or the, the worship at that church across town was so much better or I really connect better with this style of worship, meaning music preferences. And that is such a bummer because as we'll see today, the word worship is such a big, huge, awesome, empowering word to boil it down to two or three songs we sing or the style of song that we sing. is just missing the point of worship altogether. And so it's so much more than that. And religious isn't necessarily particularly a Christian thing. It's a mankind thing. Uh, we find throughout scripture that a man is a worshiper by default. It's not a matter of if you worship, it's a matter of what you worship. So all of us by default are going to worship something. It's simply a matter of what will you worship. Keep your finger here in Philippians. We'll come back in just a sec. But go over to Romans chapter 1. If you've never read through the book of Romans, I would encourage you to do that. It's such a power-packed passage of Scripture, uh, for sure. Um, if you've never read through it, there's just so much meat in the book of uh, Romans, for sure. And so if you don't have a good place in your Bible reading, read through the book of Romans. It is so good. We'll take a look at Romans chapter uh, 1, verse number 21. Actually, verse number 20. For the invisible things of him are, are seen... I'm sorry. For the invisible things of him from creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Pause for just a second. Verse 20 tells us that God doesn't believe in atheists. The Bible says that God has revealed himself unto all men so that they are without excuse. So every time somebody tells me that they're an atheist, I always have the exact same question for them. When did you stop believing? Because at some point you believed in God and now you don't any longer. What caused you to stop believing? Because God doesn't believe in atheists. They just don't exist in his world. Because he's revealed himself unto all people so that they are without excuse. 
we were at uh, McKinley High School. Uh, we, we were part of the uh, Christian club that they have over there. And we were uh, several years ago passing out flyers, inviting kids to our Christian club that we had uh, in the band room over there. And so I handed this kid an invitation. He was maybe 14, 15 years old. And I said, hey, man, I said, I want to invite you to our Christian club over here at lunchtime in the band room. Uh, so we're having pizza over there. We'd love to have you join us. And he says, no, thanks. I'm an atheist. And I said, who told you that? He goes, what? I said, who told you that? He goes, my parents. I said, I knew it. And so we'd love to have you join us anyways. But I thought to myself, no 15-year-old automatically thinks there is no God. All this happened by accident. Uh, there is no God out there anywhere. We just all wound up here uh, and are meandering our way through life. No 15-year-old figures that out on their own. Somebody had to tell him that. And I said, who told you you're an atheist? And he said, my parents. <laughs> okay. That's, as long as you know that, that you didn't come to that conclusion on your own because God says he's revealed himself unto all men so that they are without excuse. And so if you're here today and you said, I don't believe in God, I don't have to follow God, that's fine, you don't have to, but God doesn't believe that you don't believe in him, you just don't want to follow him. And that choice is totally up to you. And here's the great thing about God. God respects your choice and he has consequences laid out for that. That's fine, but he's not going to buy the idea that you just don't believe that he exists because he's revealed himself in all people. But it goes on from there. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They knew that there was a God, but they didn't recognize him as authoritative. They didn't give him the glory that he was due. They didn't put him in the position that he requires of us. And so they began to devise their own system. And verse number 22 says that professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So now the wisdom of this world wants to tell you that Christianity is an ancient religion, that the Bible is a book written by a bunch of guys that's been changed and manipulated over history, and that Christians have done terrible things throughout world history. It's a terrible religion, and I've sat in the pools of, of you know, the Andes River or the Andes Mountains. I've sat in the Amazon River, and, and I've had this, ex this existential experience with nature. I've sat in, in temples and, and prayed to Buddha and all these other places trying to sound really intellectual. I've read volumes upon volumes of, of comparative theology and world philosophy and things like this. And if you want to believe that old silly book of fairy tales, that's totally up to you. And what have they done? Professing themselves to be wise, they've become, what does the Bible say? Fools. Hmm. Okay, you want to call me foolish? I call you foolish. Philosophy is just man's thoughts about about the world and life. I want to know what God's thoughts about the world and life are. But you think that you're wiser than everybody else. And for that, you want to call us being foolish. And just know this, if you decide to be a Bible-believing Christian in the year 2021, you will be deemed as foolish by your peers, your co-workers, by society. If you choose to be a Bible-believing Christian, you will be labeled as everything ugly under the sun. But that's okay. We choose to get our stamp of approval from the Lord, not from society. So here's what happened. They professed themselves to be wise and, and then became fools. Verse 23, and then changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made into corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God hath also gave them up to uncleanness through their lusts to their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Take a look at verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So what happened? They said, 
We know there is a God. We don't need him anymore because we're smarter. We've evolved. We've become enlightened. We've become smart. We've become philosophical. We've now opened up the different areas of our mind, and we don't need God anymore. And God says, here's what God says. Okay. And the Bible says that God gave them up to the uncleanness of their mind and their lusts of their heart. And God says, go, do, do your own thing. And what happens is they end up worshiping the creation more than the creator, is what Paul says here. And then, if you want to go one step further and continue to read through Romans chapter 1, it's going to tell you that what happened as a result of this, and they've, because they've elevated now the creation above the creator, we don't need God anymore because we are gods now. What is the net result of that? If you want to read on through the book of uh, the rest of Romans chapter 1, I'll, I'll save you the trouble and tell you this. They began to desire sexual immorality, sexual lusts, to the point that their sexual lusts weren't fulfilled in a natural way. They had to get more. They had to be more deviant. They had to find other ways to be more sexually perverted. And get this, the way that they found it was men being with men and ladies being with ladies was a way that they fulfilled their sexual lusts. And the Bible says that the, the end thereof are the ways of death. So, again, it's interesting to me, sometimes people that don't know their Bible will say things like, well, the Bible doesn't say anything in the New Testament about homosexuality. Read Romans 1. It's very clear that when you leave God and you become an idolater, the end is sexual immorality, homosexuality, fornication, and every other type of pornography and utter sexual filth that there is. That's the end result. This is the punishment that God's placed on his people because we've forgotten him. So when somebody says, well, I don't really worship anything, then you worship yourself. I was talking to a man uh, several months ago and we were talking about faith and I shared the gospel with him and told him how Jesus had died for his sins and wanted to forgive him of his sins and save him from hell. And he goes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe that he, he wants to, to be a part of my life. I don't believe that there's a hell. I don't believe there's any consequences for anybody who, who doesn't choose I believe that, that there's a God of love out there who loves everybody. I believe that God doesn't really care a lot about sin. He just cares more about us loving other people. And I said, then God is no longer God and you are God. And he goes, no, I'm not. I said, yeah, you've created a religion for yourself. And he goes, well, I don't know if I go that far. Okay, well, tell me who else believes exactly how you believe and where you find your guidelines for your belief system. And he says, well, I just feel them based on, off the things I've gone through and things I've seen and people that I've met and my life experience and things like that. I said, so you can't really replicate what you got going on, right? And he goes, not really. Okay, so you've created your own religion. I said, who determines right versus wrong? And he said, well, I believe the universe does. <laughs> well, how does the universe talk to you? Well, I just feel it. So you determine what's right and wrong. He goes, yeah, pretty much. So who is in danger of bad things happening to them? Well, people that do bad things. Well, who determines what bad things are? He goes, well, I do. Okay. Well, who determines if you don't really get what you deserve? He goes, I do. So you're, you have basically become the god of your own religion. And you've taken part of Christianity and part of this other world religion and part of the world, and you've brought it into your own system, and you worship yourself, and you worship your system. But you're not a god worshiper. So again, even atheists will worship. Even atheists have a belief system that they've codified for themselves that they determine right versus wrong, good versus evil, and who is, is deserving of the things they get and who isn't. 
And so it's not a matter of if we worship, it's a matter of what we worship. If you study out the etymology of the word worship, where do we get the, even the word worship from? It's from the word worthship. Worthship or worship determines what is worthy to you, what is important to you. We find sports teams who have a, a central sports figure. We would say that they have hero worship of a, their quarterback or their star basketball player, things like that. They determined that this person is a worthy asset to our franchise. Therefore, we lift them up above all of the other players on their team. We've ascribed a sense of worship to that person. And while none of us would hopefully bow down at the, the feet of a, a sports figure in some way or another, many times we do worship sports. I don't know if there's anybody in this room that's ever maybe missed a church service or missed a church function or a gathering of Jesus's church to watch a uh, sports game, go to a sports game, have your kids involved in some type of sporting activity, but you've determined the worth. What's most important to you today? Is it sports or is it gathering together with God's people? Again, it's, it comes down to a, a worth issue. What's worthy to you? When we talk about worship, worship is really so much bigger than singing a couple of songs. It's a matter of what's important to you, what's worthy to you. As we take a look at uh, several, several different authors have said about worship, again, volumes of books have been written about worship. But by the very simplest definition, worship can be described by ascribing worth to. This is what I worship. This is what's important to me. This is what has priority in my life. One author said that it's all that man is adoring all that God is. Worship is a term that we use to cover the acts of the heart and the mind and body that intentionally express the infinite worth of God. It's a recognition of how big God is in relation to how small I am. How good God is in polar opposite to how bad and how terrible I am. How gracious and loving and caring and compassionate God is based on how horrible and terrible and impatient and imperfect I am. It's a recognition of the polar opposites of that. The problem comes when I don't feel like I'm that bad of a person. I don't think I've done that bad of stuff. There's probably been people better than me, but I, I couldn't name them if I had to. Then now I'm no longer as needy of God's mercy and grace because I've almost brought myself up to the level that he is. If I ever get to the point where I say that God's made mistakes or God did something wrong or God shouldn't have done what he did to me or God shouldn't have done what he did to that person over there, now I've elevated myself above God to say that I know better than he does and I can no longer worship God appropriately because I now have become the object of my worship. As we look at the idea of worship, worship is an act that I perform or an expression of emotion in response to God's majesty, his greatness, his infinite value. Next week, we'll take a look at the relationship between worship, praise, and humility. We'll see that in verse number three. All three of those components are there in verse three. We'll take a look at that next week. But here's the idea of worship today. I don't worship God for what he's done for me. I don't worship God for how good he's been to me. I don't worship God for the acts that he performs on my behalf. I worship God for who he is. Period. So if God took away everything that I have, everything that I am, I could still say that God is great. God is majesty. God is awesome. God is king of kings and lord of lords. God is good. 
I look at the creation of God. I experience worship through that. Now, I praise God for his faithfulness to me. I praise God for the good gifts that he's given to me. I praise God for him being gracious and merciful and kind and compassionate and loving. I praise God that he's given me another day of life. But if I lose my life, everyone can still worship God because it's who he is. So again, when we look at worship, it's important to understand we don't worship God because he gives us good stuff. We worship God because he is worthy of our worship. So to first of all understand worship, you need to first of all understand Jesus because true worship requires a regenerate heart. To truly worship God, you've got to be saved. You've got to be born again. Because your heart doesn't know the goodness, the greatness, the awesomeness of who God is unless you first know the depths of his mercy and his grace. You see, worship has to understand that I'm a sinner. I've broken God's law. I'm not a good person. That the good things that I try to do are really worthless in the sight of God. That I'm a sinner. I've broken God's law not once or twice, but again and again and again that I'm selfish at the core, I'm proud, I'm ugly, I'm angry. That's who I am as a person. And because I've sinned against the holy God, the Bible says there's consequences for my sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's appointed that a man wants to die after that, the judgment. I'm going to die one day, you're going to die one day, and one day we'll stand before a holy God. And God doesn't have a scale up in heaven where he puts your good versus your bad and see which one outweighs the other and see if you've done enough good to get into heaven. It doesn't work that way. God has one book. It's called the book of life. If your name is in the book of life, you come into heaven. If your name's not in the book of life, you're cast into hell for all of eternity. And the Bible says that's what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned as a result of our sin. But, Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I was supposed to die, but Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to endure the punishment for my sin, but Jesus was punished for my sin. I was supposed to be separated from God, but Jesus Christ was separated from the Father because of my sin, and he made a payment in full once and for all because of his love for me. So Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. But here's the important part. You can't get around this. God doesn't force his forgiveness on anyone but he offers it willingly for anybody that would take of it. If you would like to receive the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ, all he requires is two things from you. Faith, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and he died for my sins. Repentance, I'm asking God to forgive me of my sin and I turn to Jesus today. If you'd be willing to do those two things, God would forgive you like that. It's not about joining our church or praying a prayer or coming forward or signing a card. It's not about becoming a Baptist. We don't have to take a class. We don't have to baptize you. There's no religious works. Faith and repentance, that's it. And you can be saved today and you can become a child of God. Let me share with you this thought. The very first act of true biblical worship on your part is faith and repentance. You cannot worship God unless you are saved. Oh, you can sing songs, you can give money, you can do good stuff, but you cannot worship until you have confess your sin before God and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You just can't do it. And that 
is the first and most important act of worship. So the day that you got saved, you immediately became a worshiper of the one true God. And that first act of worship, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he died for my sins and I'm asking him to forgive me of my sins and save me today. I put my full faith and trust in him. That was an act of worship on your part. And let me tell you this, if you've never had a time, a date, a place where you were born again, friend, you cannot worship. Just, just not available to you. God's not interested in counterfeit worship. That's the thing that God doesn't want anyone coming to him to sing a song. Look, God has all the angels of heaven. Do you think he needs you to sing? God doesn't want you to write a check. You might, might write a check for $50,000 a day. God doesn't need your money. He's not broke. God doesn't need your church attendance. God doesn't need you to fill up a seat on Sunday morning. God wants your whole heart, your whole person. He wants all of you. And so you can't begin to worship unless you first are willing to submit an authority to God the Father. Jesus says in John chapter 4, he's talking to the woman at the well. He tells her, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God's a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I don't think it's any coincidence that in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 3, Paul says that we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit, for sure. So as we take a look at the idea of worship, worship really engages every aspect of our being. When God created us, he created us as a three-part being. We have a body, we have a soul, we have a spirit. And worship engages every aspect of that. You can't worship without the spirit. You can't worship without your body. You can't worship without your soul. It's a matter of every fiber of my being recognizing the majesty and awesomeness of who God is. That's what worship is. Worship isn't singing a couple of songs on a Sunday morning before the preaching starts. When we talk about our body, we're talking about the part that we actually see, your, your physiological makeup, your, your heart, your brains, your, your arms, your legs, your feet. We're talking about the, what makes up your body when we talk about that. When we talk about your soul, we're talking about the deep emotional part of you, about who you are. This is your personality. This is your will. This is what makes you, you. This is what makes you distinct and different. It's all of your, your life experiences that culminate into your personality that makes up your personhood. That's your soul. Everyone's born with a body, a soul, and then the spirit. But the interesting thing about the spirit, the spirit is actually born dead. The Bible says that we're, we're born dead in our trespasses and sins spiritually. Your spirit is the part that connects to God. Your spirit is the part that connects to the word of God. Your spirit is the part that connects to the people of God. And here's the crazy part. When we're born into this world and we have a connection to the physical, we have a connection to the, the soul, but no connection to the spirit, it's almost like we're missing part of something. If you think of us as a, a three-part being, but one part's dead, we're really only a two-part being before we meet Jesus. You see, we have our physical part, we have our soul portion, and then we have our spirit, which is actually dead. So we find people going through life, trying to figure life out. And they focus so much on fi finding physical fulfillment and focusing on the physical that we began to, to focus so much on how we look or how we act or what other people think of us or 
we begin to, to go down the road of vanity to get physical appearance and we can begin to wonder about how we're perceived online and what other people think of us. <laughs> I saw a girl walking through uh, Alabama Center the other day. Uh, she had her phone out in front of her. She had her head cocked to the side like this, walking and talking and laughing and stuff like that. And she got to the end and she stopped and she went like this and she went, oh. And then she turned around and went back to the place where she started before and she put her phone up and she cocked her head to the side and she started walking and talking like this. I thought, did she really just recreate what she did because she didn't like the first one? That's exactly what she did. I thought, my soul. And then we were having dinner at Cheesecake Factory the other night and there's this lady sitting behind us and she doesn't look like she's ever, she like, did you know what Cheesecake Factory was when you came in because you look like you haven't eaten in six months? Uh, and so she's sitting there at the table and she orders food and she's sitting there and she takes her picture with her food and she, she like turns her head to the side, like a very thoughtful gaze with her sunglasses on at Cheesecake Factory. And then she looks at it, scrolls it, and she, she pu- punches some stuff and adds stuff, and then she clicks submit. And then she sits there, and she doesn't touch her food. And then she asks them to bring a, a piece of cheesecake. And so she sits the phone down in front of her cheesecake, and she's like gazing out to the side like this with her cheesecake in front of her, and she like snaps a picture of her cheesecake. And then she, she scrolls, 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 and she sits and she waits. And then she laughs, and she waits. And she laughs a couple more times and she types something back and she waits. And then she takes another photo of her and the bread from Cheesecake. Not, not touching any of her food at all. And then she asks for a check. And there's like a whole meal sitting here on the table that she didn't even eat. And I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding me. Like, bring that cheesecake over to this table over here. I got no problem with it, you know? I had no problem with it. But I thought to myself, so, so much emphasis on the physical like like yo people put so many filters on them like i wouldn't recognize you in public if i saw you right like like your eyes are not that big your teeth are not that white and your skin is not so glossy like that right like what are you really trying to accomplish there because we have this focus on vanity i want to look good that people will go to all types of extremes with cosmetic surgery and things like that but here's what they find I'm going to chase the physical. I'm going to chase what everybody sees. I'm going to chase vanity. But then when they get it, they realize it wasn't really what I expected it to be. I thought there would be more to this than what I see, but there's not. Or they chase the soul connection with others, emotional connection, whether it be uh, relationships with other people or what other people think of them. And they'll go so far as to want to be loved and appreciated and, and accepted and validated and a part of something that they're willing to go to so many extremes to be a part of something, to belong somewhere, to get plugged in, to have people that just care about them, to have friends that they'll go to so many extremes to have their soul validated. And when they're seeking that validation from the world, it just comes up empty. And then they think to themselves, I just feel like I'm missing something. Yeah, you are. Because you're chasing your body, you're chasing your soul, but you've never once connected the spirit. And so, people go through life and not realizing that they're an incomplete person. And they think, like, oh, I'm going to meet this person and they will complete me. I'm going to meet this person on a day we fell in love, we love each other, and I'm going to marry them, and they will complete me. And guess what? They find out. I'm still missing something somewhere. But when you find Jesus, the Bible says the day that you're born again, the day that you're saved, your spirit, which was once dead in your trespasses and sin, is now made alive together with Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 1. 
And now, when my spirit becomes alive, I now am a fully functioning three-part being. My body, my soul, my spirit, all of these three things are connected. Now, my deepest parts of me, my physical, my emotional, now connect back to God, my Father, my Creator, my Maker. And I understand myself more now that my spirit is alive. Now when I read the Word of God, it's not just some old book of fairy tales. It is the Word of God that comes alive in my, my heart, alive in my life. It changes everything that I see. And it's like I can really see for the first time in my life. I get it now. It all makes sense. Now when I meet other Christians, I'm just like, Oh, you're my brother. You're my sister. I know we just met each other, but I love you already. And we have a connection with people that we've never even met before. That's one of the thing that I love about traveling and going to Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches is getting to meet my brothers and sisters I've never met before. It's just like, I don't know you, but I know you, right? We've never met, but I totally get you. And you get me. Why? That's the spirit and me connecting to the spirit and others. That part of us that was once dead is now alive. If you've never experienced that, you're missing something somewhere. I don't know for sure. I can't say for sure that you're saved, but I know when you're saved, the spirit of God resides in you. And that part of you that was dead comes alive. And now you're able to, to experience life in a way that you couldn't before. So... When we worship God, worship is an all-encompassing experience where my body, my soul, and my spirit connect to who God is to put him in his rightful place of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And now my physical body worships him. My emotional spirit worships him. Every part of who I am recognizes the awesomeness and the majesty of God. It all connects together to create worship. So, did we worship in song today? We definitely did. And so, as we worshiped in song, you know, we, we sang with our voices. And look, if you want to raise your hands at who we call a Baptist church, I don't have a problem with that. Some people say, why don't people raise their hands when they sing? Raise them. I got no problem with it. But here's the important part about worship. God is the object of our worship. He's the object of our attention. If you begin to do things that draw attention away from the worship of God, you're being a distraction. Look, you want to raise your hand while you sing? Raise your hand. I got no problem with that. Go for it. If, if you feel it, if, if it's the spirit inside of you moving along with the truth that you hear, by all means, go for it. It doesn't matter if you want to like, like uh, you know, hold the TV like this with your hands like this, or if you want to go full on like touchdown. Totally up to you, right? But here's the thing. If you want to like shake your hands and do this number right here in the aisles, you can do that outside in the atrium because don't be a distraction, right? You want to dance a jig? I got no problem with that. Go for it. Do it somewhere else, but don't do it here because you are not the object of our worship. God is. You're not the focus of our attention. God is. But I believe our physical body should be engaged. For me, when I sing, I like to, I like to close my eyes when I sing. I like to really focus on the truth of the word that I'm singing. Sometimes I like to rock back and forth when I sing. Hey, because it's, it's every part of me. It, it grieves me that sometimes when Christians come to church and they see the, the words on the screen, their, their heart's not engaged, their spirit's not engaged, their emotions are not engaged, and it's basically just like Christian karaoke without the bouncing ball, you know? Okay, whatever's on the screen, I'll sing it, but I don't really feel it. You're missing, you're missing worship. That's not worship. Again, God has all the angels of heaven. He doesn't need you to sing a song for him to entertain him. 
So it's all about connecting every part of ourself with who God is. But here's the thing that many people miss when it comes to worship. True worship requires biblical understanding. That's why Jesus said to the woman at the well, God's looking for true worshipers. Here's a crazy thought. If there are true worshipers, then that means there must be what kind of worshipers as well? False, right? It has to be. Does that mean that there is fake worship? Absolutely. Does that mean that there are false worshipers? Absolutely. And true worshipers, according to Jesus' criteria, will worship God in spirit and in truth. So, let's say, for example, I decide we're going to shift away from worshiping God, and we're now going to worship uh, this knife, right? This knife is now our object of worship. It's a sweet knife. Here. Oh, you like that? I knew you like that. This is our knife, right? <laughs> this is the object of our worship, right? We're going to worship this knife going forward, right? Okay, why? What's so great about this knife? Why is this knife better than the knife that I have at home? Where did this knife come from? Who made this knife? How sharp is this knife? What type of maintenance does this knife require? What does this knife require of me? What am I supposed to do in response to how awesome this new knife is? These are all questions we must have to ask before we worship. But the funny thing is, people don't want to know anything about God. They just want to sing a song and call it worship. No, no, no. You need to know who God is and why you worship him. You don't need to know why our God is greater than all of other gods on planet Earth. You need to understand why God expects worship. You need to understand what true biblical worship looks like. You need to understand how amazing our God is. Just like you have to understand how sharp this knife is, you gotta understand how sharp your God is. Like again, there's so many layers of, of understanding that we need to get to enrich our worship. We can't just say, well, I'll sing some songs because God's awesome. You're missing the point. As you dig into the word of God, your worship will be enriched by understanding that comes from God's word. Because here's the thing, again, God wants true worshipers, but God also rejects counterfeit worship. When, when fake worshipers come to God, he's like, ah, no, not interested. You can keep that. Here's a crazy thought. <laughs> this message might be hard for some people to hear, but I just want to tell you, it's 100% out of a heart of love. If you come to Huikala on a Sunday morning with a crummy attitude after rebelling against God all week long, after continuing in your filthy, disgusting sin and not caring, and you come begrudgingly and we say, hey, let's stand and sing this song to the Lord and you start singing, God is just like, I don't know what that is, but it stinks. That's rotten. That's foul. And you know what, frankly... I hate to say this, you're better off just keeping your mouth shut. I know that sounds really hard, so let's take a look at what the Bible says, right? Because you don't want to take my word for it, take a look at the Bible's word for it. Isaiah chapter 1, here's what God says. Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I'm full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who's required this at your hand to tread in my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It's iniquity, even the solemn meeting. God's like, who told you to bring all this stuff here? 
Like, I don't need your garbage. I don't need your fake worship. I don't need you acting like you're really doing something for me. I don't want you to pretend and put on a show. I'm not impressed with that. God even says, actually, just get it out of here. I don't even want it. Here's what he says again. Uh, verse number, uh, I think it's verse number 12. Uh, where, where do you go? Oh, bring no more vain oblation. Incense is an abomination to me. That word abomination is such a strong word in the Bible. It means it repulses me to the point where I want to vomit. So you think if I say like, hey, if you can't have, live a right life, you should just keep your mouth shut and not sing to God. God's a little bit harsher than that. Saying, Actually, it makes me sick to my stomach when I hear you sing when your life doesn't back it up. Because again, God's not looking for a show. He's not looking for a production. He's looking for your heart to be pure and holy and righteous before him and to recognize who he is in light of who you are. That's worship. That pleases the Lord. But God doesn't want counterfeit worship. He's, he said, hey, be done with that. I, I, don't, I don't need that from you. When we talk about worship, worship really comes down to priorities. <coughs> if I were to take a look at your monthly budget that you have for your family, because I'm sure you have a, a monthly budget, right? If you don't have a budget, maybe I can look at your bank statement. And I'll figure out really quickly what your priorities are. And so that's a pretty harsh statement, Pastor. Again, I don't say it, the Bible says it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I've met guys before who are too broke to tithe. I really want to give to the Lord, but I can't. Come to find out they have a $900 a month truck payment. Well, you've determined what your priorities are. You've determined what you worship. Oh, I don't worship my truck. You make more sacrifices for your truck than you make for the Lord. So worship or not, maybe we're just semantics but you place a higher priority on your mode of transportation than you do the things of god and again i didn't say it, the bible says it worship is about priorities and worship is about what's most important to me it's funny people say to me oh pastor i really want to spend time in the word and grow as a christian but i just can't seem to find the time to be in the word no the word is just not a priority for you because your heart's not right with god Again, somebody can spend two hours on social media, but you can't spend five minutes in the Bible. It's not about time, it's about priorities. It's about worship. You know, you keep refreshing your social media feed to see if there's any new comments on the photo that you posted or your latest status update because your God is self and you need validation for your God. You need to be worshiped and adored. You can't spend 10 minutes in the word of God because that would take away from other things that are more important. Again, worship is all about priorities. All about priorities. I've known people before who says, well, pastor, if you look over at me and I'm not singing in church on a Sunday morning, it's just because I don't have a great voice and I don't want to draw attention to myself. Good. Then your God is pride. Because you're so focused on what other people will think about you that you can't lift your voice in praise and worship to God. Hey, here's what it is. Oh, pastor, I don't, I don't like to talk to people at greeting time because that's not, my, uh, that's not my thing. Well, your thing then it must be being liked or what other people will think about you or something like that. Hey, look, again, everything boils down to priorities. And if God's a priority, then he's worthy of our worship. If he's not, then he's not. Moses, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 24, says, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches of the treasures of Egypt, 
for he had respect unto the recompense of his reward. Moses made a decision. I would rather have God's blessing upon my life than to have the riches of being Pharaoh's daughter. He had a choice to make. And Moses chose his priority was the things of God. And that was an act of worship on his part. Let me, let me just tell you, Sunday morning we gather together for corporate worship. You should worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day. Sunday we have what we call corporate worship where we all gather together and worship together as the church. That's what, that's what we're commanded to do in Scripture. And again, it's one of my favorite parts of the week is getting together with you guys and worshiping Jesus. But our worship doesn't stop the moment we walk out the door here. Our worship really begins. Our personal worship, our private worship begins the moment you walk out of here. Corporate worship is when we're here. But let me just tell you this. For your Sunday morning worship, it begins before you ever even walk in the front door. Because worship is about priorities. Some of you woke up this morning and the alarm clock went off and you had to ask yourself the question, are we going to church today or not? Because there's been days before you've looked and you go like, I'm wiped, I'm tired, had a busy week, you know, I'll make it up next week, I'll watch online later this week or something like that. And you made a decision to come or not come. And you, you showed up today, props to you, you decided God was worthy of your worship this morning. And it started when your alarm clock went off or you started getting ready for church. But then your worship continued when you drove around the uh, Alamon area looking for a parking spot this morning. And you thought to yourself, I'm going to take this really close parking spot because I deserve it. I don't want to have to walk very far. I'm tired. I shouldn't have to walk very far. Maybe you thought, I've been at this church for three years. I shouldn't have to be parking where everybody else is parking. I'm going to park closer. There's, there's people who attended our church who, when we used to be able to have guest parking at Bernini, they parked in guest parking for like nine months. It's like, bro, you haven't been a guest in so long. But here's what you say. I deserve it. Here's a crazy thought. When we, we first started Hui Kala and we began to see some growth uh, in the first couple of years, Parking really became an issue, and people would struggle to find parking on a Sunday morning. We were new. We just wanted to make it everything really easy for everybody. And we had looked at the, the possibility uh, two uh, streets over on Kapilani Boulevard. There's a parking garage over there. And we looked at leasing parking spots from them on Sunday mornings only, uh, and allowing people to park there. And I was going to get this super cool Hui Kala green tram uh, with our logo on the side of it and everything. And we were going to circle around just like Disneyland and pick you up at the parking area and bring you off of, up here. And have a lot of music playing on the loudspeakers for you when you sit down. Like, hey, everybody's everybody coming to church and stuff like that. No lie. And I began to do some research on it. Should we get the electric ones that you just plug in and charge? And uh, should we get the gas ones? But that means somebody's got to either drive it to the gas station and fill it up and bring a gas can. Could that be more trouble? Uh, what do we need to do as far as insurance and requirements and stuff like that's concerned? And you know what? I spent probably a week or so researching it. And then I thought to myself, it's two blocks. Can people really not walk two blocks to worship Jesus? Is that too much to ask? And then I thought to myself, do we really want to fill a, a church full up of Christians who are now mad because the tram didn't come on time or the tram was late or maybe we need to buy a second tram because I had to wait 10 minutes the last time for the tram. Do we really want to fill a church up full of people who are just in it for themselves? And the answer to that to that, that I came up was, no, we don't. And so if you can't walk two blocks, then maybe you should find a church with front row parking just for you. Your worship began when you picked a parking spot this morning. Your worship began when you came in the front door. Do I allow God to use me to show the love of Jesus to the people around me? Maybe some people are here for the first time that have never been to this church. Do I allow God to use me today to show the love of Jesus to these people? Or do I just worry about me? 
Do I just zone out on me? When it's time to stand and pray, do I actually pray with the person who prayed up here or do I just keep my eyes shut until he says amen? Worship. Do I engage in the music that I hear and allow it to speak to my heart and my spirit as I lift my voice in praise and worship to my creator? Or do I just sing the songs as they go by on the screen and not really think about it? That's worship. As I hear God's word taught and preached and declared, does it stir up something in my belly that causes me to want to be greater in my walk with God, of greater usefulness to Jesus Christ, to improve and expand my personal worship? Or am I just looking at the clock going, I hope he's wrapping up. Maybe you're trying to gauge based on the notes that you have left how much longer it's going to be. That's always a terrible metric, so don't use that. <laughs> I know you've done it before. You're thinking, he's got three blanks. He's about three minutes per blank. No, it never works, so don't try it. But sitting and hearing the word of God taught and allowing your spirit to be engaged with that, saying, yes, I identify with that, or no, I need to change that, or yes, I want to grow in that area. That's worship. At the end of this service, we'll have a time of reflection and prayer where you get to talk back to God and you'll be able to tell him, hey, I've done this, I've done this, and I want to make it right. Or you'll have an opportunity to say, man, God, thank you for just being God and loving me. And you'll have an opportunity to worship him. You'll have an opportunity at the end before we leave to be able to give back to God what he's already given to you and adoration and worship and joy in our giving back to God. Not because we owe God or because God's broke, because we get to serve God together. That's worship. So it's so hard not to roll my eyes when people say things like, well, we really didn't care for the worship at the church. It's just like, bro, you missed it. You missed the worship then. You might not like our music, and that's one thing, but don't say that you don't like worship because worship is, starts when you wake up in the morning and, and corporate worship ends when you walk off this property, but that's when personal worship begins. And again, when we talk about things like even like music styles and stuff like that, hey, look, I've heard music styles that I don't necessarily care for, but when it comes to worship, it's about, again, we're talking about biblical understanding of worship. It's about connecting to the truth in the song more than it is connecting to the tune or the style of music and stuff like that. So again, you might not care for Southern gospel music. For you that don't know what Southern gospel music is, um, you, should, you should YouTube it. It's a blast. It's basically country music with Christian words. Um, and so and it's like country music without all the sadness, right? And you say, is that really country music? I don't know, probably not. Uh, but, uh, but when we talk about worship music, I want to find truth that connects to God's word, that connects me to God's word through music. That's why, again, all the, the worship music that we should let in our ears should be doctrinally and biblically accurate because it connects to my heart and it connects to the heart of God. And so the music that we hear, we want to be able to connect this to the heart of God. That's why, again, your private worship and time in the word will greatly enrich your corporate worship. They feed off of each other. Like, seriously, last Sunday, we sang um, In Christ Alone, Oh My Soul. Like, I was sitting there in the back. Again, I had my eyes closed. I was just letting it rip. <laughs> and on that cross, as Jesus died... The wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the power of Christ, I live. Oh, if, if that don't get you, if that doesn't stir something up inside of you, 
look, if that don't light your fire, the wood's wet. Like, seriously, like something ain't right somewhere because that, that speaks to the deepest parts of my spirit. When we talk about that on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. The Bible word for that is propitiation. A satisfactory payment for sin. When I sang that, I thought to myself like, yes. That on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin, every sin on him was laid. I think about the substitutionary atonement of Christ. How Jesus died in my place. My sin was laid upon him. And, oh man, here in the power of Christ, I live. You know why? For whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That I was once dead in my trespasses and sin, but now I'm made alive together, quickened together with Christ. Oh my goodness, it's so rich. But if you don't read your Bible, you don't spend time in the word, you don't praise God for his provision, for his son, you don't know nothing about that. You're just reading words off a screen and it hurts my heart for you because you forgot to worship. But worship requires biblical understanding. We have to worship God in spirit and in truth. It's about priorities. It's about a posture of our heart. <clears throat> if you were to do a Google image search on the word worship, you're going to find photos of people with their hands outstretched like this. Every single time. Uh, find somebody in the field, hands are outstretched like this, that's worship. You, you Google prayer, people always have their hands clasped, usually leaning over something, right? It's just the idea of a posture. The Bible word that's used in the New Testament is the Greek word proskuneo, which literally means lay prostrate in front of, which means to lay out completely forward, face first before God. That's what worship is. Now, I'm thankful that when we sing on a Sunday morning, I don't say, all right, stand to your feet, find a good place to lay down face first in here, we're going to sing in Christ alone. You know, thankfully, we don't have to do that. That would be awkward, right? Can you imagine somebody like running late uh, and walks in like everybody's laying face down singing? They'd be like, what in the world happened here, right? It would be awkward. But here's the idea. The idea is not that we would physically be that way, but that our heart would be that way. That I come before God with my heart completely and totally laid out before him, recognizing how awesome he is. When we talk about worship postures in the Bible, there's always the bowing, there's always the lying prostrate, and there's always kneeling. That's it. Those are the only three postures that we see in the Bible when it comes to worship. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to be in those positions when we worship, because worship is a heart posture. My heart is kneeling. My heart is bowing. My heart is laid out before God. And so it's a recognition of who God is in light of who I am by laying out my body before him, laying out my heart before him. Psalm 8, verse number 3, the psalmist says, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it, God. I don't get what you're what your interest is in me. You don't get why you would be so merciful and so kind to me because you're so high, you don't need me. The book of Isaiah says that all the nations are as a drop in the bucket to God. If that's true, and it is because it's in the Bible and all the nations are like a drop in the bucket, then I'm one seven point five billionth of a drop in the bucket to God. Why would he care about me? I don't understand that, but I worship him because he does care about me. And so it's not about trying to get our emotions engaged, trying to get pumped up or everybody raise their hands or something like that. Angela and I went to a, 
at church several years ago when we were traveling. And again, because worship is about priorities, whenever we're on vacation, we go to church. We were in, uh, Angela went to London two summers ago, uh, and one of the first things we did when we got booked our hotel was we found out where was the Bible-believing church that was close to our hotel for Sunday. We just went. Why? Because you don't take a vacation from God. And that was important to us, and so we went to church. We were traveling one time, and we were going through, I think it was North Carolina somewhere, and we walk in, and the, the usher at the front door gave you earplugs when you came in. I thought, well, that's funny. Like, I know I look old, but I'm not really that old. Uh, and so... And, but the cool thing I thought is their, head, their, their earplugs had their church logo on them. I thought, ooh, you know me and logos, I kind of like that. And so, but I thought to myself, ah, earplugs ear at church, we win no doubt. Like I've been in a mosh pit at a white zombie concert before, and it held nothing in comparison to this. Uh, and so <laughs> it was just like, whoa. Uh, and so legit, put my earplugs in. I thought to myself, this is crazy in church. But I realized they've got to get people pumped up. Yeah, you got to get you fired up. And so the, the guy comes out at the beginning. I won't call him a worship leader because he didn't really lead any worship that day. But he came out and he's like, all right, if you love Jesus, put your hands in the air. And I thought to myself a couple of things. I love Jesus, but I'm not going to put my hands in the air just because you told me to. <laughs> and so I kind of put my hands in my pockets at that point. But then I think to myself, now everybody thinks that I don't love Jesus because I got my hands in my pockets, right? <laughs> but by principle alone, just because you told me to raise my hands, I'm not raising my hands right now. And so it's just like, mm, I didn't like that. But I thought to myself, let's crank the volume up to 11. Let's get everybody on their feet. Let's get everybody clapping their hands. Let's get everybody in their hands in the air because we've got to pump you up. Right? Why? Because we've got to work up worship because worship doesn't come on its own. Worship doesn't come on a recognition of the awesomeness and majesty of God and the, the depths of my sinfulness, my sinful condition before God. I can't possibly just praise God because he's God. I got to get somebody to get up there and pump me up like a pep rally, right? No, worship doesn't require a, a, a pre-service pep rally. Worship doesn't require us to get on our feet and get pumped up. Worship requires us to recognize who we are in light of who God is. That's why oftentimes when we sing a song on a Sunday morning, we'll accompany it with a Bible verse that backs up the principle that we're talking about in the song. Because our hearts in worship are drawn to the word, not a personality, not a music style, not a sweet guitar solo that somebody ripped. Our heart is drawn to God through truth, not through some pumped up experience. And who we call it, our, our music portion is intentionally simple. We have enough musicians. We could fill this platform with musicians. We can have singers. We can have 12 singers on Sunday morning. And here's the crazy thought. Did you know? I didn't know this until a few years ago, and I was deeply grieved when I found it out. Did you know that there are churches who actually hire unsaved musicians to play in their, quote, worship team? How are you going to get an unsaved guy to worship Jesus and pay him to play music that honors the Lord because it sounds good for everybody else? Because it's not about worship. It's about a production. It's about a show. Look, we could pack this, this place out with a big show, lots of lights, everybody on their feet, get pumped up. We could get some teenager that plays acoustic guitar and give him a $200 gift certificate to Hot Topic and come in on a Sunday morning and he'd be like blinged out, you know? Get him some trendy haircut and some goofy glasses that don't even have a prescription in it. And we could just worship together. We're going to worship the Lord, yay. If it were about a production, we're doing it totally wrong. But it's not about a production. God looks at that and goes, you paid an unsaved band to play music for me? I'm disgusted by that. 
Like, like, get that out of here. I don't need that. I don't need a production. God doesn't need a show. God desires true worship that comes from biblical obedience and biblical knowledge. At least this next, the true worship requires biblical obedience. If you really want to worship God, you've got to obey God. <laughs> I had a man tell me several years ago, it, it's been over a decade now, but he told me that it's never forgotten. I never got forgotten it. He was a young single guy who was living with his girlfriend at the time, and he said, um, he said I, I was explaining to him, hey, look, you can't really say that you love God if you're going to live with your girlfriend and have sexual relationships with her. It just doesn't add up. Love is about obedience. And here's what he said. I'll never forget as long as I live. He said this, I love God, I just don't want to obey him. <laughs> then you don't love God because it's always linked. Love and obedience in the Bible are always linked together, always. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Simple as that. So when we worship God, we, God requires us to be obedient first and foremost. Our, our heart of worship must be a heart of obedience to God. You see, if I worship God in any form other than who he is, I'm guilty of idolatry. Again, when we concoct a God that is to our liking, and he's not really the God of the Bible, then we've created an idol. Well, I know that God's a God of love, and he loves everybody where they're at, and God doesn't really care a lot about sin because he knows we're sinners, and so God doesn't care about sin. He's all about love. You've created an idol that is not really the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible is a God that is loving, yes, but holy equally. And God cannot wink at our sin. And the idea of a God that's soft on sin is not the same God that put his son to death because of sin. They just don't go together. You've made up a God that doesn't really exist. You might have heard somebody say, well, I'm more of a God of the New Testament, God of grace and God of mercy as opposed to a God of wrath and damnation in the Old Testament. <laughs> Read the Bible. It's the same guy, same God. You don't get to pick one or the other. And it's so interesting to me. Again, it shows a complete lack of biblical ignorance when people say, well, you know, I'm a God of grace of the New Testament. God of the New Testament is a God of grace. Read, ask Ananias and Sapphira how gracious God was. If you don't know this story, Acts chapter 5, they said, hey, we sold a piece of land. They said, did you really give us all the money? They said, we did. Boom, God struck both of them dead for a lie. So against the idea that the New Testament God is a God of, of just patting people on the head when they sin and send them on their way, it just isn't real. When we create a God like that, we've created an idol, which is no good. You're, you're an idolater. True worship has to come from understanding who God is. And, and look, our God doesn't do things the way that we want. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. When people ask me, like, why did this terrible thing happen in my life? Why did this terrible thing happen to this really good person? I don't know. I really don't. I just know that God wants to do something through it. God wants to show himself strong through it. Well, I know, but I don't think God should have done this. That's why you and I aren't God, really. And so, again, we must worship God for who he is, not who we want him to be. It means we have to worship God in spirit and truth. My spirit has to be connected, engaged in the word, but it also has to be based on truth. What is real? What's from the Bible? Not what's the story that you and I have made up about the Bible. Not what you and I want to be true about the Bible. But I've got to worship God for who he really is. But here's the problem. That requires that I know who he really is. I've got to know God so that I can worship him. Isaiah chapter 1, the same passage where God completely obliterated them for their fake worship. Isaiah 1, verse 16, he says this, Wash you, make you clean, put away evil of your doings from before mine eyes. 
Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God says, hey, just fix what's broken, and we're good again. When your heart drifts from God, repent, come back. Your father loves you. Just make it right. And he says, if you would just repent, your sins, though they be as red as scarlet, as red as blood can be, I'll make them white as snow. I'm waiting for you to come back and make things right. A few final thoughts of worship when we're done. First of all, make personal worship a priority. Personal worship. Not what takes place here on Sunday. Your time, alone with God. Make that a priority. Most of you wouldn't walk out of the house, I hope, without brushing your teeth. You know why? Because it's important that you're not funky all day, right? That's important to you. Would you walk out of the house without reading your Bible? Like, would you call your boss and say, hey, I'm going to be five minutes late to work today. I had some, something come up. But I just, I'm going to be running a little bit behind. I just want to give you a heads up. Would you do that? Or would you say, no, I'll do it after work. And then after work, you don't do it. I'm talking about priorities. Because your personal worship always feeds your corporate worship. Your personal worship always sets your direction for the day. And yesterday I was, uh, I was here doing some work in the church and I had my headphones in and I was listening to worship music and a song came on that I'd never heard before and I just, I like literally, literally stopped in my tracks and just closed my eyes and just listened to the truth of that. And I just was overcome with emotion. Like I, I felt like I couldn't move. Like, I, I felt like I, I couldn't, like nothing else in the world existed for that moment because I was just so focused on the truth of that, that song that spoke to the deep recesses of my core. Like, I was just, I was just stuck. And I don't mean, like, really stuck, like I couldn't move. Like, God, had, the Spirit came down and overtook me, and I was, like, frozen in place and couldn't move, like Han Solo and Carbonite or nothing. But, uh, like, it, w- it wasn't a weird, like, surreal, mystical experience for somebody that, got, that, that didn't get that joke. I feel sorry for you. Um, but it wasn't some weird, supernatural, mystical experience. It was just the Spirit of God at work in me yesterday. It was just overwhelming. And, like, I took that and continued to pray through that through the rest of the day. I listened to that song on repeat, man, a dozen times yesterday. I spent time in the Word this morning, and I read the book of Psalm 18, how the Lord is a strong tower, how He's our shield, our strength, our buckler. I read in Proverbs chapter 2 this morning. As I read, I was just like overwhelmed with how great God is, how true His Word is. Like, oh, it is so true. And then when I gathered together here with you guys this morning, I saw you as on your way into church. I thought, yes, yes, yes. More, more. Crank it up. Let's go. As I saw the Stoker family up here as a family singing together, I thought, first of all, how sweet is that? But secondly, I thought to myself, the day that I met Jesus, he touched me and he made me whole. Like, I was a two-part being. He made me a three-part being and completed my life. I was nine when I got saved. I didn't start walking with Jesus until I was in my early 20s. But, but look, the seed that was planted as a nine-year-old boy grew into something incredible that's still growing. And the day that he touched me, man, he made me whole. And that, I love that. And so worship, your private worship always feeds your corporate worship. So make personal worship a priority. Next, make corporate worship a priority. 
again, I don't mean to step on any toes. I'm just trying to help you. People that are consistently late for the corporate gathering of God's church just say that it's not a priority. Simple as that. You'd never be 25 minutes late to work every single day. You'd get fired. So to say that, and, and here's the thing. I understand kids get sick. We've had kids throw up on the way to church. We've had kids, you know, you know, mess their clothes before they walk out the house. We've had situations where the car didn't start. We've had a transmission go out on the way to church before. Look, we've had it all. I get it. I'm talking about every single week, 30 minutes late for church. It's just, it's just not a priority for you. And so I would encourage you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not upset with you. I don't think poorly of you. I want to encourage you to make the gathering of God's people a priority. Be here early so that you can greet people, so that you can allow the love of Jesus to flow through you to other people and connect with them in a real meaningful way. I'm talking about making it a priority. For us, we made a decision a long time ago. If the church doors are open, our family's going to be there. That was long before we pastored, long before we started a church. We said it's a priority for us. When we first moved to, to Honolulu, one of our kids wanted to play basketball, and the only basketball league we could find out in town played on Sundays, and we just said, you ain't playing basketball. Oh, sorry. Priorities. Because the corporate gathering of God's church is mandated by Scripture, and it's helpful for me. And so it's just got to make it a priority. Next, understand the all-encompassing nature of worship. It's not a head thing. It's not a heart thing. It's a head, heart, soul, spirit, all-encompassing part of worship. Understand also that worship is not just Sunday morning. It's the rest of your life. It's the rest of this week. How you spend tomorrow is an act of worship. The way you prioritize your time, act of worship. The people you spend time with, act of worship. So worship isn't just relegated to a couple of songs on Sunday morning. Next, spend time in the Word to improve your personal worship. Your, your worship will gain steam the more that you know God's Word. The more that you mature as a Christian, the more that you grow in the Word, the better your worship will be. And by better worship, I don't mean you'll know the songs better or you'll be able to sing it in a better key. Or, I'm not talking about that. Again, if you think that's worship, you just miss, I don't know what the Word means. I'm talking about the more you enrich yourself with the Word of God, your worship will grow. That's, again, why every Christian should go through some form of discipleship to have somebody teach you what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus because worship is life. Final thought, our worship is meaningless if it doesn't come from a pure heart. If you're not right with God, there's sin in your life that you don't want to deal with, God doesn't want a song from you. If you write a $50,000 check and put it in the offering today with a crummy heart, God's not impressed, and I, frankly, I'm not either. God's not broke. He doesn't need a handout from you. He wants your heart. He wants you to love him and wants you to obey him and wants you to adore him and wants you to worship him. And so my worship must come from a pure heart that's right with God. And if I'm harboring secret sin or living a life of hypocrisy, my worship will always be hindered, always. So make sure your heart's right with God. Most important thing in the world, friend, you cannot worship unless you're saved. There's never been a time, a day, a place in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior. Make that today. Be willing to say my first and most incredible act of worship is an act of worship to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he died for my sins and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. That would be incredible. The Bible says that's such a massive, massive act of worship, that when you do that, the angels in heaven go nuts, like it's a party up there. But somebody singing a cute song on a Sunday morning doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Angela, I went to, to one church one time. It was the saddest thing in the world. 
they said, oh, we've got sister so-and-so. She's going to come up and sing a song for the offering. So while they're passing the offering basket, this girl sings. And she starts singing this song, and I was like, this sounds vaguely familiar, but I've never heard it in church before, but I think I know this song. And she gets to the chorus, and she said, and then a hero comes along and has the strength to carry on. You cast your fears aside, and you know you will survive. And I was like, is she singing Hero by Mariah Carey? And she was. And for a split second, I gave her the benefit of the doubt. And I thought, maybe they're like trying to like make this about Jesus. Like Jesus is the hero that came along and Jesus gave us the strength to carry on. Like I'm trying to rationalize in my mind what she actually means by what she's singing. And no, she finishes off the chorus. And that hero lies in you. It's like, what? No, you did not. Stop it. And I thought to myself, beautiful voice, beautiful voice. Like, she should have been on American Idolatry or one of those shows. That, uh, <laughs> beautiful voice. But uh, it's just like, ah, really? And like, man, when she finished, like, everybody clapping. And I thought to myself, that was highly entertaining, but if anybody thought that was worship, you are greatly misguided. And why in the world would you sing that on a Sunday morning? Goodness. Please understand what real worship is. And here's the thing. You know what God thought of that? Not impressed. The angels in heaven, they're probably look, checking their watch to see, like, what, what's next? But the second, if you would be willing today to come to faith in Jesus Christ, there's going to be a massive party in heaven like you've never seen before over one person that comes to Jesus Christ. So if that's you, you need to be saved today, today's your day. Worship God in spirit and truth. For those of us that are saved, this week is going to be a week of worship for us because we're going to worship from now through all of eternity. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.